Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. So good to have the whole church family here together this morning instead of separated by two different services. I got just a, a brief word I want to share with you this morning as part of our Christmas service. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is just it, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how the different parts of it written over such a vast amount of time, the authors separated, not just geographically, but also many of them separated by hundreds and hundreds of years, and yet they're all talking about the same thing. I just love how all of the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is all talking about the same thing. They're all pointing to Jesus. You know, when I first discovered that and, and realized that the Bible wasn't just some boring history book or instruction manual, that's when it really came alive for me. And, and I just love pointing out all the different connections and everything. And I want to point out one of those here this morning for our Christmas service that has to do with one of the lesser known prophets in the Old Testament, a man named Zechariah. He was known as one of the minor prophets, but the prophecy that he bring was, was anything but minor. God chose him to give a message of hope to the Hebrew people at a time where they could really use some hope because they were pretty discouraged to say the least. They were under the rule of Babylon. They were exiled from their homeland, living in foreign countries, and Jerusalem pretty much lay in ruins. And so Ze Zechariah's message was of something God was going to do that was just incredible. This big thing that God was going to do in sending them a savior. Somebody who was going to come and save them from the situation that they were in. And what was so profound about Zechariah's prophecy was that he wasn't just saying that God was going to send somebody. But that God himself was going to actually be the one to come to them. Of course, we know now that he did that. That prophecy was fulfilled the night that Mary gave birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I want to read you one part of Zechariah's prophecy. You, you could just remain seated for this. I, I'm just going to read it real quick. It's in Zechariah 2, starting in verse 10. He said, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. I just love that last line right there. He is aroused from his holy habitation. A modern-day picture of what Zechariah is telling us here is just picture a father who has settled in for the night after a long day at work, and he's snuggled in under his, his, his blanket, his, his sheets and everything, snuggled in his bed, and he's just dozing off to sleep finally when he is suddenly awoken by the ringing of his phone, and he picks it up and looks at it, and he sees that it's his teenage daughter. And so he immediately answers it, and he can hear her crying frantically on the other end of the phone. 
something has happened and she needs her daddy to come and save her, to come and help in the situation. Well, if you're a dad, you know if you've been in a situation like that, this sudden surge of adrenaline just shoots all through your body. And so he jumps right up out of the bed, puts his clothes on, and heads out to save his little girl without thinking twice about it. The father has been aroused from his habitation to go and rescue his child. This is what Zechariah is saying that God was going to do. Isaiah kind of saw the same thing when he prophesied in Isaiah 30, 19. O people of Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you. At the sound of your cry, when he hears it, he will answer you. God was aroused from his holy habitation, the perfection of heaven, because of the cries of his people. Not necessarily just because they were defeated exiles living in a foreign land far from home. No, but because they were defeated by sin, exiled from God himself, separated from the God that they were created for. And so he leaves the perfection of heaven and comes to rescue them, coming to this earth broken and cursed by sin in order to fully redeem it. Fast forward 520 years after Zechariah's prophecy where we find this small group of shepherds who are uh, looking after their sheep late at night when they are suddenly frightened by an angel who makes an announcement to them that would echo throughout history from then on. In Luke 2.10, that was read just a moment ago when they said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David has been born to you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 2.10 is the fulfillment of, of Zechariah 2.10, which is kind of crazy because chapters and verses weren't added to the Bible until much, much later after they were written. But Zechariah 2.10, it's an angel that's actually telling Zechariah what to say. And so an angel comes with the announcement from God that I am going to come. And then in Luke 2.10, it is an angel that comes with the announcement, he has come. He is here. Now there's something else that these two verses have in common. And that is that they both use a particular word that is associated with God's coming. With, with what he is going to do. And it is the word joy. Zechariah says, sing for joy for I am coming. Luke says, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy is associated with with the coming of Jesus. Now I know this is not any breaking news to us because after all the word joy is said, sung, displayed, and spoken more during the Christmas season than it is at any other time of the year. I mean, we got a banner hanging right here, joy to the world. We just sang the song, joy to the world. This time of the year you see the word joy displayed everywhere. Why? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that briefly here and, and what that actually means for us. 
You know, there's a lot of verses in the Old Testament foretelling the coming of Jesus. It's hard to say exactly how many there were because some of them were very literal and direct, whereas others were more symbolic and metaphorical. But the truth is, the entire Old Testament, like I was saying a while ago, was looking ahead and pointing to Jesus, what God was, was going to do. But in looking at the more obvious ones, I noticed that there is one aspect of Jesus' coming what they kept saying was going to come as a result of what God was going to do that is mentioned more than anything else, and that is the coming of joy. Here's just a few of them. Isaiah 35.10 says, And the ransomed of the Lord, which is me and you now, the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads, They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Joy said three times just in that one text there. Isaiah 55, 12, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. Jeremiah 31, 13, for all will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. Then Psalm 45 7 says, Your God has anointed you with the oil of joy. The word joy is mentioned 38 times just in the book of Psalms alone. Jesus talked a lot about joy when he was here on the earth. And in John 17, he praised that awesome prayer for his followers just before his arrest in the garden of Gethsemane and in part of that prayer in verse 13 he said but now I come to you praying to the father but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves now why would it be a big deal to God that his people have joy well for one reason it's because he created us for it he wired our physical bodies in such a way for us to be able to experience joy and there is literally a physiological process that occurs when we do there is a chemical that i'm sure you've heard of called dopamine that saturates the cells of our brain creating these pathways that teach us to seek that pleasure out again and again joy triggers dopamine which then produces the feeling of pleasure but the thing is joy isn't the only thing that does that there are many different things that we can do that triggers this pleasure chemical but God designed us in such a way that pure joy joy in its purest form and ultimate pleasure can only be found when we are connected to him Apart from him, we are left with just substitutes of the real thing. We can only seek after things that provide just a very minimal amount of pleasure compared to what he provides. Like I said, apart from God, dopamine can still be triggered. It can be triggered when you taste good food. And so this time of year, there's a lot of dopamine flowing around (laughs) because of all the sweets and everything. Sugar is a big trigger. I mean... It's been flowing in my brain a lot the last couple weeks, and I've put on the pounds to show it. Physical intimacy with another person triggers the dopamine chemical. The praise of others will also trigger it. 
love and acceptance from other people will trigger that dopamine to where we find pleasure. But all of those are substitutes of something far greater. They are all inferior to the purest form of pleasure and joy that can only be found in God. And so before Jesus came, the state of mankind, as we all know, is that we were cut off from God. Therefore, incapable of being able to experience pure joy and ultimate pleasure. All we could do is settle for cheap substitutes. And so that's why over and over these prophecies kept saying, there's going to be joy. There's going to be joy. God's going to do something big, and there's going to be joy as a result of that. A joy much greater, much deeper, and far more long-lasting than any kind of inferior joy that you could find in anything else. And so Jesus came, God came in the person of Jesus to solve mankind's problem and to make that connection with him possible once again. And it is in that connection that we find our greatest joy and our deepest pleasure. The Bible even tells us so in Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forever. You can find pleasure in good food, but the next day you're going to be hungry and that taste is gone, that dopamine has waned and it's no longer saturating your brain. You can find pleasure in another person, but eventually they will let you down. They will do you wrong. You can find pleasure in a drug, but in a few hours you're going to come crashing down And then you're going to be desperately searching to get that high once again. You can find pleasure in a number of things in this world, but none of them are going to last forever. And none of them are going to provide the fullest amount of joy like the kind that is found in Christ alone. The problem is there are a lot of people who identify as Christians, especially in our little corner of the world here in East Texas, claim to be Christians, but they are about the furthest thing from joy that there is. And they just look mad and miserable all the time. It's like, who wants to be a Christian if that's, if that's what it looks like, you know? And there may be some of you even here this morning that may be thinking, well, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I can tell you I don't have joy. So what's wrong? Where, where is my joy? Well, there could be a number of reasons for that. One is it could be that you depend more on your circumstances for finding joy than you do in what God has done for you. Because when your eyes are more on your circumstances than they are on Jesus, joy is going to be very, very fleeting. It's just like when Peter was walking on the water and When he looked at Jesus, he stayed above it. But as soon as he got his eyes off of him and started looking at his circumstance, the waves and the wind around him, that's when he began to sink. The joy that's been made available to us in Christ is a joy that doesn't depend on your circumstances. And it's there and it's lasting and can be experienced no matter what your circumstances look like. But I believe the biggest reason for Christians lacking any joy 
is from having a misunderstanding of what God is actually like. You see, being disconnected from him, we were left to speculate at what he is like and, and what he wants. And some of us can continue to carry those same assumptions with us into a relationship with him. Or we were brought up being taught wrong about what he is like and what he wants. And so we might assume that he's a God who wants appeasement. So we'll sacrifice our best over and over just to thwart his wrath. Or we might speculate that he's the big negotiator in the sky who wants to make a deal. And so we try to give him what we think he wants in order to receive his favor in return. There's many people who think that he treats us like Pavlov's dog, rewarding us when we're good and punishing us when we're bad. But none of those are accurate portrayals of God. And if any of those are what you assume that he is like, then there's no wonder you don't have any joy. There's no joy in serving a God like that. There's just not. Joy is found in knowing God as a father who absolutely delights in you. As a father who delights in you. Not because of anything that you can do for him, but simply because of what he has done for you. Like a baby who instinctively knows his mother and knows that she delights to be with him. We can know the father the same way. We are loved and enjoyed by him even before we learn how to behave the right way. The Bible says that God chose to set his affections on you long before you were even born. Which means he, he had, you had his favor. You had his affections, you had his delight before you ever had a chance to earn it or prove in any way that you deserved it. God is love. He demonstrates that love by coming and being Emmanuel, God with us. As he loves us, we rejoice in his loving to be with us. The whole Christmas story flies in the face of a doctrine that portrays God as this distant being who requires people to get their act together and act right in order to be able to come to him. No, he came to us. He was aroused from his holy habitation and came to us while we were the ones who were distant and cut off from him. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we got our act together, not while we made all these promises to be good, not while we were following the rules, but while we were sinners, he died for us. All the requirements for a sinful man to be connected to a holy God Jesus met those requirements on our behalf so that we could know the joy that comes from knowing a father who delights in his children. That's the joy Jesus had. He knew how much the father delighted in him. And he delighted in the father which gave him all this joy. And so he prayed that they may have my joy made full in themselves. He prayed that we could have the same joy that came from knowing the Father the way that he knew him. It's time for us to return to joy. 
We were made for it. Sin and alienation distorted it. We did not need to depend on joy substitutes in order to get that dopamine high. We can abide in the one who has an abundance of joy. Our search for joy is over when we discover that he has found us. Our confidence does not come in anything in us. We cannot produce joy on our own nor sustain it. We can only share it. Our daily battle is against all those voices in the world that suggest that he isn't with us, that we are not his delight, that we don't qualify for his presence, and that we must do something in order to make him happy. It is only when we listen to his voice does the liberating truth of joy break through. And so this Christmas, dare to rejoice. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at what he has done. Look at his delight in you. Joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. Let's all stand and worship him for that joy made available to us.